1: Welcome, everybody, to Power Lunch on a Thanksgiving Eve. Alongside Kelly Evans, I'm Tyler Matheson. Welcome. Glad you could join us. Coming up, uh, OPEC delaying its planned meeting about production cuts. That is sending oil sharply lower, though it has rebounded since hitting the bottom there, and uh, having an impact on bond yields and stocks as well. We will discuss the ramifications. And it is the busiest shopping week of the year, a make-or-break time for retailers. We've heard some caution about the consumer uh, on retail earnings. Uh, We'll talk to an analyst who's literally coming to the set from the mall and check on how things have been going, Kelly.
2: And before that, let's get a check on the markets. As you can see, we have green across the board with the Dow and the S&P up exactly the same fraction, about half a percent today. The Nasdaq leading the way as it tries to crack 14,300 again, up about three quarters of one percent. Lower bond yields definitely helping uh, put wind in their sales there. And the big stock story of the day is also NVIDIA lower after its earnings. Results were good. There were some concerns. It's both off the highs and the lows down about one percent right now at 493. We'll have more on that later. And as Tyler mentioned, Oil down, at latest check, about 1% today. Bigger declines earlier in the session uh, as OPEC canceled or postponed that meeting. A prolonged drop in oil prices, of course, would be deflationary, leading yields to fall. Those yields hit around 435, I thought, this morning before bouncing back on some better economic news. On that note, let's bring in Steve Leisman with a look at what we've learned today. Hi, Steve.
0: Hey, Kelly. Yeah, a full table of economic data before the Thanksgiving holiday, giving a mixed picture on the economy jobless claims falling that was good news 209 from 233 continuing claims also fell though they remain elevated perhaps there's some seasonal problems in there but durables big miss to the downside uh, minus 5.4 compared to a 4% increase. You wonder if higher interest rate spending is hurting the potential for capital spending. And consumer sentiment a little bit better than the first reading that we had from the University of Michigan. For the Fed, though, the Michigan inflation expectations numbers, potentially the most worrying. They ticked up even while reported inflation is coming down, along with gasoline prices. So one concern could be for the Fed if this keeps going on is, Will the expectations become unanchored from the 2% target? Bond yields, they declined pretty sharply ahead of the 830 data, but then hey, jumped back up perhaps because the jobless claims data did not show more weakness. Lower jobless claims could be a sign that the overall job market is not weakening as much as had been hoped. The result was to pare back the probability of rate cuts in the spring, create some modest chance of a near-term additional rate hike, though just around 12%. It had been zero. None of it, though, enough to cause much indigestion for stocks. They could be feeding on that helping of low oil prices that could serve up additional consumer spending and less inflation, guys, at just the right time of the season.
1: All right, Steve, thank you very much. Have a great Thanksgiving, my friend. Sure. Sure. Okay.
0: Turning to the big moves in
1: oil. West Texas Intermediate hitting its lowest level in nearly a week, this is OPEC announced it's delaying its next meeting scheduled for Sunday. The postponement raises questions about the future course of crude production cuts. And here to break it down for us, John Kilduff, founding partner of Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. What what, what were the the Saudis seem to be behind this delay in the meeting? What are they dissatisfied about?
3: Uh Good afternoon, Tyler. Yes, they're dissatisfied about the uh, participation of the other members of OPEC+. Uh, In particular, it seems they're perturbed at Iran and Libya. uh, But there's others out there, too, that are eating away at the efforts of Saudi itself uh, and undercutting, as we've been seeing with the price pretty much declining pretty steadily here over the past several months, uh, you know, undermining their, the Saudi efforts to to get the price really back to hundred dollars a barrel plus. In other That's words, that these role. that
1: these that these producers, whether it's Iran, Libya, or others, maybe some of the African nations, are overproducing their quotas.
3: Well, it's more a, a case of like Iran, for example. So the Saudis put an extra 1 million barrel per day cut on the table and have engaged in it. Meanwhile, Iran's production has been steadily rising, and during the same period has risen by about 600,000 barrels. So offsetting much of the Saudi cut, and then when you add in what the United States has done and others, all of a sudden this big, you know, bali by the Saudis to, you know, try to drain the, the swamp here in terms of supply, is falling very very short Tyler. where then
2: would you say the price of crude most likely goes next John?
3: Well look I mean I think the Saudis were looking to hit a, a bit of a home run here as we go into the northern hemisphere winter the heart of it uh, that prices would in fact get back up towards that ninety100 level but now given the uh, economic struggles in China and now Japan uh, potentially recession in Europe and here so the demand side of the equation is soft Kelly. And also too, the Saudis are gonna have a heck of a time reining in the other producers. Uh it's just how this has always gone. Uh why they think it'll be different this time, you know, is kind of a curiosity to me, but they thought they had it. They thought they had it. So therefore, I think you're gonna see a test of $70 a barrel to the downside for WTI, uh pot you know, possibly down to the mid to low 60s, especially if we have a relatively mild winter here. In the northern hemisphere, in the United States, that will be the killer for their outlook.
1: What if, what if the Saudis sort of throw up their hands and say, you know, we're we're done uh, trying to to rope together or, or tape together this uh, the, these price, uh, well, not price uh, cuts, but but production cuts. And they've done that in the
3: past, Tyler. I can tell you, early days of my career, back in 1993, the OPEC cartel fell apart, prices crashed. Uh, This is what happened in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. The Saudis flooded the market. They are the lowest cost producer. So that is their ultimate go-to nuclear option. Um, Will they do it this time? I think they're going to put it on the table. And I think that's what they're going to be reminding all the other countries of between now and then when they do finally meet next Thursday that, hey, we're only producing 9 million barrels a day. They could flip a switch and go to 10, 11, push to 12. And that would be a mess for everybody. So that is their veil or not so veil threat. And that is, again, their nuclear option. And I wouldn't take it off the table for a minute.
2: What does all of this mean, John, for energy stocks? It sounds pretty bearish.
3: It is bearish in the short term. Uh, but look, the, the demand picture isn't changing. It's going to continue to stay you know, elevated, robust. Certainly, we are, you know, vulnerable to various headlines, vulnerable to weather and obviously geopolitical tumult, as we've seen. So the energy companies should really, even if prices get down to 60, Kelly, they're minting money, Okay, Even in the Permian, where the break-evens have gotten way down there towards the low 30s, let's call it, on a great average, they are minting money, doing great. They might get punished here and there, but they are a case of buy the dips for sure,
1: All right, John, thank you very much. Going to a good weekend. We'll see what happens next week. John Kilduff, thank you. you.
3: Thank you.
2: And as we mentioned, bond yields are also rebounding after declines this morning. Oil and economic data both at play here. Let's get to Rick Santelli in Chicago with more. Curious what you think of that. What what do we hit, 435 on the 10-year, Rick?
4: Yeah, uh, earlier, well, 436 is the low yield that I saw. Mm. And boy, if you blinked, you missed it, definitely. It was around... uh, I would think about 7:40 Eastern time that we hit that level, and the reason it was so important—well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's first look at the knee-jerk reaction of one of the data points in particular, Kelly, exploded. and that was University of Michigan sentiment. If you look at this chart, look what happens at 10 Eastern: yields pop. Why did they pop? Well, it was a dual issue. We have sluggish University of Michigan growth, even though the headline number improved because it's a final read versus mid-month read. The improvement was small, still the weakest level since May. And, well, if you look at the chart going back, as you just pointed to, to last Friday, you could see why today's yield was so important when we moved down below that 437 level. It's because Friday and Tuesday we basically held 4.37. So boy, it took it out and reversed quickly. And one of the main reasons it reversed, I like this chart the best. Here's a chart of one year of confidence against the one year inflation. So weakest since May, although subtle improvement on confidence, you see that there. And then look at how the line moves as inflation firms up the one year, hitting 4.5% Listen, we could talk about the Fed being pleased that inflation's come down, but many people are paying close attention to some of the reversals, especially in this particular index and set of data points. Kelly, Tyler, back to you. Rick, and I'll a pick it up. Thank happy you. Happy and healthy Thanksgiving.
1: The same to you, my friend, Rick Santelli. Thanks. Uh, there's breaking news on an explosion near
5: Niagara Falls and a bridge between the U.S. and Canada. Eamon Javers with the details. Eamon. Tyler, that's right, this incident happening at the Rainbow Bridge separating Niagara Falls, Canada, with Niagara Falls, United States. You can see there uh, images of law enforcement on the scene, a very heavy police uh, presence. This is on the Canadian side, apparently a vehicle entering into the united states exploded right at the border crossing there from the united states uh from canada into the united states what the fbi buffalo field office is saying is that they are investigating a vehicle explosion at the rainbow bridge which is a border crossing between the us and canada in niagara falls the fbi adding here as the situation is very fluid, that's all we can say at this time. I can tell you that the White House says that they are monitoring this situation as well. And the immediate question will be uh, whether this was a freak accident of some kind or whether this was a deliberate act of terrorism. That, of course, will be investigated by officials uh, on the scene and a deter- determination uh, will be made, one would expect, All
1: right. That was uh, Eamon Javers reporting. We'll continue to follow this uh, explosion at the Rainbow Bridge crossing between the United States and Canada, uh, and we'll get uh, Eamon's signal back up uh, as we need to. Later this hour, Kelly.
2: Now we're obviously learning more more by the minute. Meantime, how might those moves in oil's uh, prices and bond yields affect the stock market today? Let's bring in Jack Gable, and he's Crescent Capital's founding partner and CIO. Jack, good to see you. Obviously, we have green across the screens for now. Uh, what's the significance, you think, of the drops in bond yields, the drops in oil? How how big of a deal are they?
6: Yeah, I think it's a uh, really changing narrative. I think finally, at long last. Uh, investors do see light at the end of the tightening tunnel. Uh, we are starting to see evidence of consumer slowdown, of economic slowdown. We're seeing um, you know, inflation abate. So I think all of these uh, signals uh, suggest that interest rates obviously come down have come down from that 5% peak uh, down to well below 450, uh, and we expect um, slowing as a result. Meanwhile, of course, earnings estimates still hold pretty well in place. And that's part of the reason why we're seeing equities do as well as they are uh, this month.
2: Does it keep going?
6: I think it can. I mean, at some point, um, you know, of course, the slowdown becomes a victim of its own success, so to speak. Uh, And if earnings do start to deteriorate, and one of the things I point out in a a piece I I sent out to clients today was if you look at, for example, same-store sales, uh, you know, and you could pick whatever retail you want. But essentially, this same store sales growth that, growth that we've seen over the last year is pretty much matched inflation. What that really means is there's no volume growth and that all of the revenue increases that a lot of retailers and other uh, companies have enjoyed uh, over the last 12 months was pure and simply pricing power. Well, if now prices roll over and we see that downtrend, uh, that could start to hurt uh, earnings and um, and profit margins.
2: I wonder too. In that case, if that's lean, lends you kind of to one part of the market in particular over another.
6: Well, I think for right now, um, I would say healthcare is probably um, pretty well insulated from uh, the vagaries of the economy. Uh, they've tended to lag, uh, and these are high quality companies. So, so we're not really looking uh, for companies that have to refinance debt, for example. These are also companies, Medtronic, Ecolab, AbbVie, have not only strong dividends, but strong track record of dividend growth. So for example, Medtronic, 3.5% dividend yield. It's been growing its dividend at an annual rate of 7.4% annually. Uh, Ecolab, 1.1% dividend, but it's been growing its dividend at a 5.3% annual rate. And then lastly, AbbVie, 4.5% dividend yield growing its dividend at a 10.5 percent annual rate. So probably in an environment where um, as interest rates come down and things start to slow, high quality growth companies that can pay uh, shareholders uh, pretty healthy and increasing dividends could be a good place to be.
1: When does investing for a dividend turn into chasing a dividend?
6: Well, I think that's the difference between quality and yield. So for example, Um, While dividends have been probably one of the least, uh, worst performing areas of the market this year, wasn't because, I mean, they're really for two reasons. One is high dividend stocks tend to be bond substitutes. And now that bonds uh, are able to, you know, uh, uh, fight at their own weight, so to speak, because of the Fed, uh, a lot of would be uh, dividend owners have now shifted back to bonds. Um, but the other part of the high dividend companies is they tend to be lower quality. They tend to, be, they tend to have higher uh, debt. And as this debt starts to roll over, that's going to eat into their uh, financial position as well. Whereas dividend growers, uh, lower yields, higher quality companies, less debt, and have a, a good strong track record of growing that dividend, not just over time, but well in excess of inflation over time.
1: All right, Jack, thank you very much. Jack Ablin, we appreciate it. Have a good holiday.
6: Meantime, you, Tyler. You
1: bet. Coming up, getting to the core of the store. It's tough to tell how this holiday season is going to pan out for retail. Some signs pointing to uh, consumer strength, others pointing to weakness. We'll look at that next. Plus, chaos in AI. After a week of drama surrounding open AI, we ended up pretty much back where we started. But with some key changes to the company, we will discuss in Tech Check. Our lunch will be right back.
2: Welcome back. We're about a month from Christmas, but this week is still the busiest shopping week of the year. The big question is what will be the split between online and in-store and which companies are poised to capitalize? We turn for some answers to CNBC senior retail reporter Courtney Reagan for more. Courtney?
8: Hi, Kelly. You know, that's a question I've been asking for years. What ultimately will be this breakdown between in store versus online sales? And now that many online operations are profitable or close to it, and with stores also fulfilling orders, retailers say it doesn't really matter where shoppers buy. Plus, the deals are typically the same online or in store these days. With the earnings reports, though, that we've gotten over the last week or so, a number of retailers like Target and Kohl's reported lower online sales than they did last year for the quarter. Urban, an example of positive. Did Digital sales. Though Adobe says online retail sales overall are up 5% for the first 20 days of November compared to last year. Now, Black Friday, again, expected to be the busiest in-store shopping day of the year, according to Sensormatic, which tracks foot traffic in these stores. The National Retail Federation agrees Friday will be the busiest day, estimating 72% of U.S. consumers will shop in-store and or online on Friday. That's up from 69% last year and a record three-quarters of American Americans will shop in stores and or online sometime between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday, spending 567 bucks over that five day stretch. That's a 13 percent from the same time last year, according to Deloitte. A big question, though, Kelly, what will the in-store experience be like? You've got items locked up at a number of locations, online orders being fulfilled from store merchandise. Will retailers be sufficiently staffed and stocked at least enough to prevent maximum frus- shopper frustration? I don't know. We'll have to see.
2: Indeed. What's the
1: answer there? I mean, do you think they do have sufficient uh, uh, inventory and people to handle? You know,
8: I think the inventory is probably better in the areas in which they choose to put it out, frankly. There are some retailers that I believe have not chosen to put out the full stock of inventory in some of the items that are stolen more easily that are not locked up, but I think they do have it. Inventory levels do seem to be very good from what we've heard from retailers going into this holiday season. And when it comes to the staff, look, they've said that they wanna hire thousands of additional seasonal help, and many of these retailers, when I've asked them, are you able to find them? Most of them say yes. You know, look, I think these retail associates are being asked Do a lot more than ever before. In some cases, they're having to provide extra security. They have to unlock these uh, different locked up cases. Then they have to fulfill online orders, sometimes from in store merchandise. Maybe they're doing self check or checkout with sort of these handheld devices in order to make the process easier for shoppers. So it's asking a lot of these employees. I am really going to see, want to be interested to see. How frictionless or frictionful this holiday (laughs) shopping will be now that we're kind of back to normal uh, with more people coming back to the stores.
1: All right. Courtney, thanks very much. Have a good happy shopping this weekend. Thank you.
8: You too. All
1: right. Let's get one more insight on the scene at malls and what the consumers are buying. Our next guest spent the morning at at my mall, Garden State, Kelly's as well, Garden State (laughs) Plaza. Eddie
9: Ruma is managing director at Piper Sandler. Ed, what did you find? So a couple things. I think first, Courtney was spot on. Inventory levels are very controlled. We went through a number of different stores and saw what I'd argue is kind of lower inventory levels than last year, consistent with what we've heard. Second, we saw traffic kind of build throughout the day, which is a promising sign. Uh, And three, and this is always the key question, what will promotions look like? We saw a lot of retailers put their Black Friday promos on ahead of Thanksgiving. Sometimes you see this, sometimes you don't, but I think it does augur for a very promotional holiday.
2: That's what Dana Telsey just told us. That she's seeing some promotions. Um, you know, it's good, the traffic. You'd have to pay me to go to the Garden State Plaza yeah. today. So I, you're, you're, you're a good, good man. Were there parking spots? I mean,
9: when you get there at uh, nine o'clock, there are. But, <laughs> but clearly, you know, as, as the day went on, parking got more difficult. You saw that traffic level come up. So the consumer is in the mood to shop. But I think they want those great deals.
1: Well, oh, we talked yesterday with Connor Flynn of Kimco, and he was talking about how many retail locations are becoming destinations to pick up merchandise. How big
9: a hunk of business is that? I mean, pickup for many retailers is one of their biggest growth vehicles. Uh, two of our top picks, Walmart and Target, have invested significant amounts in pickup, and you see it in the results, right? It gives you that great experience of having something very convenient. And by the way, if you know
6: someone,
1: what you want. You've ordered it. You go to the desk. It is there. They hand it to you, or they check you out,
9: or it, you've already paid for it. It doesn't even need to go to the desk, right? Walmart, Target. You pull up. They know that you're there because you have the app on your phone. Mm. They bring it out to your car, and away you go. But Ooh. if there's something you forgot, right? Very easy to grab that one other item while while they get that pickup for you. So it's convenient. It's fast. Uh, and then also interestingly, it can help with theft, right? Because mm-hmm. the, they're controlling the the product. Um, so, so certainly that, that's not as big of an issue.
2: We, what's driving foot traffic when you know at the stores? What are the hot destinations? Because luxury still looks a little weak. I don't know what that Nordstrom store looked like. Is Apple still a big draw? I mean, what's bringing people in, and where are the weaknesses?
9: Uh, clearly, the consumer looking for great deals, great value. You know, electronics always popular during the holiday season luxury is as some people have pointed out has been kind of weak right that that luxury consumer that has been so resilient over the past 18 months is finally starting to pull back
2: I were just say 18 years because for luxury it feels like you never want to bet again why are they
9: pulling it. back are they are they nervous about the economy or they just got what they need or want it's probably a little bit of both I think the luxury consumer has very le- leveraged their confidence right it's not an ability to buy they still can buy whatever they want it's how confident do they feel and I think there's been something that's happened if it's the macro conditions if it's interest rates if it's all the geopolitical events, right, that's really impacted, I think, this hiring consumer over the past six months.
1: Companies that, let's talk about the, the, um, Courtney was just talking about hiring and that it was going to be, it was going to be, but if, if these companies haven't hired by now, are they going to?
9: For the for the season, I mean, by and large, I think uh, the staffing situation is a little bit better than last year. You recall, you know, certainly coming out of COVID, there were hiring bonuses, turnover was extraordinarily high. I think what we're hearing from retailers today is, you know, it's always a challenge to find great employees, but it's maybe not as challenging as it was this time last year. Now, certainly, they're asking these these asking these employees to do more, right? Do the pickup to. Uh, watch the store more closely. But but I think that the employment situation is probably less acute than it was this time last
2: year. Where does this leave you on the stocks? Especially we've had some big decliners like Walmart, we've had some big gainers like Burlington. Just as an example, where do you have the most confidence, both for better and worse? We like
9: value a lot right now. So I think a Walmart and a Target, um, you know, they, they give significant value to the consumer, they have that convenient pickup. Um, off price, I think you know this is the one subsector in the third quarter I think that was a real winner. If it was TJ Maxx, Burlington, Ross, all did very, very well. So the consumer's looking for value. They're looking for convenience. Uh, The rest of the stocks could be very difficult.
2: Target, though, that's a somewhat controversial pick to be kind of a a clear value winner. They've had a really tough year. You think they've turned a corner?
9: I mean, some of it is just there's a little bit more discipline there than there had been in years past. You know, inventory levels are very, very controlled. And so they don't need to be maybe as promotional as they were last year.
2: All right. I will be doing some channel checks there in the right. next couple of days. Ed, thank you so much. And a shout out to your daughter as well. Thanks. Glad is she you could join here? you for Where the is she? she is. She's over there. Come on over. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Quickly step in What's into her name?
9: The... Her name's Lizzie. <laughs> Lizzie, come on in here.
2: You got to Happy go with your dad shopping. Happy Thanksgiving, Lizzie. Yeah.
9: That's awesome.
1: How old are you?
2: I'm 11.
1: You're 11. So you're in what? Fifth grade, fourth grade? Sixth grade. Sixth grade. Wow, cool. Smart cookie. Okay, good. We'll have a good uh, holiday. You too. All right,
7: welcome.
2: Thank you, All right, Thank you folks. both. Happy Thanksgiving. Further Bye. ahead, we'll talk NVIDIA after the break.
7: Stay with us. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. click. Rider's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Canva. Welcome back, everybody. More details emerging now on that
5: explosion near Niagara Falls. Eamon Javers has the details. Hi, Eamon. Tyler, this information coming from NBC News, according to four senior law enforcement officials, briefed on the situation. The explosion uh, in Niagara Falls uh, was caused as a result of a vehicle crashing into the checkpoint structure at the Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls at the U.S.-Canada border. The vehicle was traveling at a very high rate of speed, we are told. It hit the structure, caught on fire, and then exploded. An initial search, according to these officials, did not find a secondary explosive or device. That is, there's no initial indication so far of a bomb in the car. Uh, There are two casualties, we are told. Those are the occupants of the vehicle. Authorities are now trying to determine whether the incident was intentional, and if so, what was the motive here? All of this, of course, subject to change is more evidence is collected, but uh, the information given by senior law enforcement officials to NBC News indicates a vehicle hitting that border uh, guard position at a high rate of speed, then bursting into flames and then exploding. Uh, No indication so far of a bomb on board that vehicle, but uh, two casualties do appear to be the occupants of the vehicle, Tyler. That's what we have for right now. All right, Eamon, I'm sure you'll keep following it for us. Eamon Javers reporting.
1: Meantime, let's get to uh, Contessa Brewer for a CNBC News update. Contessa.
10: Tyler, Israel's defense minister promised the war would continue in full force following the ceasefire in Gaza. Israel reportedly will pause the fighting for at least four days and release 150 Palestinian women and children in exchange for the release of 50 Israeli hostages now being held by Hamas. Hamas says the ceasefire starts tomorrow. A jury sided with General Mills, Kraft Heinz, Kellogg and Nestle in a lawsuit against the nation's largest egg producers and two trade groups. The suit argued United Egg Producers and United States Egg Marketers conspired to restrict the supply of eggs, forcing the companies to overpay. The jury will decide the amount of damages in a trial starting next week. The preparations have begun. Workers are carefully blowing up massive balloons to be featured in tomorrow's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The iconic parade started in 1924, so almost 100 years old, quickly became a holiday tradition for many Americans, and nearly 28 million viewers watched last year alone. That's why so many gravy pots burned, because we were all busy watching the parade instead of watching what was happening. Got to stir the the gravy.
1: Got to stir the gravy. Contessa, thank you. (laughs) Ahead on Power Lunch, stocks to be thankful for. We'll lay out some of the cornucopia of names investors should hold. That's today's three-stock lunch. Stocks to be thankful for when we return.
2: Welcome back. Chip giant Nvidia just blew past estimates for both earnings and revenue. Its sales of more than 18 billion dollars are triple the year ago quarter, but the stock's still down today as there are some concerns on the horizon. Christina Partzenevulis has a look at those issues for us. Christina.
11: Well, Kelly, China actually remains a major concern and overhang for this name, even though management insured investors, they could find growth from other regions. And that's because U.S. export controls were expanded in October and are blocking sales to the country and would, quote, significantly impact Q4 revenues. And that's also limiting that $20 billion guidance number as well, according to management. The CFO on the call admitting they don't know the impact of the controls over the long term, which is why it has a lot of investors questioning right now, how can NVIDIA keep up this pace of beats that you're seeing on your screen from 11%, 21% to 12% just over the last three quarters, and keep raising outlooks when China without China as a major customer. There's also a lot of doubt over the sustainability of demand once the backlog, you know, that supply constraint for those GPUs everybody's trying to get their hands on. Well, once that gets worked down, aka inventory digestion, what does that mean for companies, especially those companies that are double ordering just so they can get their hands on those coveted GPUs? Will demand continue at this pace? But, when you take a step back and you look at the stock, you're like, ah, it's down today, the earnings are great, but it's down what, 3% off its most recent all time high of $505? It's actually really rare to see a stock continue to hit an all time high and actually have its forward price to earnings ratio fall, which is often what people look at for valuations. Right now, it's trading at 32 times, with the bulls arguing that's cheap, especially when you compare it to its five year average. And to further add to that bull narrative, there are new products that are coming out. Uh, you have the H200. There's a Another GPU coming out in 2024 that could create a new replacement cycle, according to management. There's expansion in software networking, with management noting 18 billion in purchase commitments, which is showing us some visibility into the future. You know, possibly easing some fears, but nonetheless, stock reacting negatively.
1: So, Christina, Nvidia, in, Nvidia chair,
11: <laughs>
5: tongue chairs twister, are, I know.
1: The chairs are down. The shares are down, but other competitors like Intel and AMD are moving uh, in the opposite direction. Why?
11: Well, you have, if you t- remove China from the, the problem right now, which is an overhang, the narrative is still the same, that all companies are still spending a lot of money on their generative AI systems, on their large language models. A- and NVIDIA even said that they see like a $10 billion uh, run rate for, for uh, networking, $1 billion for software, and they believe it's going to continue to grow. So that bodes well for other players that are in the space like Intel, AMD. Intel has its big uh, event, its um, AI event, December 14th here at the NASDAQ. AMD, December 6th in San Francisco, I'll be at both events. And then other players too, I want to mention, you see Arista Network, like ANET, that's the ticker there. That's a competitor when it comes to the ethernet cables. You have all of these data centers, you need to connect them to each other. Arista Networks falls into that category and they've been doing really well over the last little while. And there's two others that I also want to mention because they don't get enough love, but they are a big player when it comes to software automation, Cadence, CDNS you could see up about 20% over the last 3 months and Synopsys also up 24%. These are plays that maybe don't you know aren't as sexy as Nvidia cuz they're not mentioned all the time but they do play a big role when it comes to creating the AI systems uh, and the software behind it.
1: Who said ethernet cables aren't sexy, man? I
11: know. I-, I never thought in my entire well previously before joining CNBC that I'd be using sexy and ethernet in the same sentence.
1: <laughs> Funny how where this job takes you. Christina, <laughs> thanks.
11: Good places. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. Sam Altman back as CEO of OpenAI, bringing an end to a dramatic standoff and an employee revolt uh, days after the board of the startup fired him. Deirdre Bosa digs into who has come out of all this on top in today's tech check. Dee,
12: It is still hard to say, Tyler, after all the drama of the last five days, kind of feels like we're back to square one. You've got Sam Altman, Greg Brockman back at OpenAI. No mass exodus. It remains a nonprofit with a mission to serve humanity. Microsoft continues to bankroll and benefit from its ambitions, but the power has most definitely shifted, and that will be critical for the future of this organization. Five days ago, the board was made up of researchers and Silicon Valley insiders, largely unknown to the broader public, save Sam Altman himself. Now you've got core CEO Adam D'Angelo. He's the only holdover, and he's joined by two of the most prominent business leaders in business and economy. Brett Taylor, former co-CEO of Salesforce and former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. Now their initial task to vet and appoint an expanded board of up to nine people that will reset governance at OpenAI. As for who comes out on top, there's still so many questions, but it looks like Microsoft at least because OpenAI can continue to operate as its research lab and OpenAI will take on the reputational and executional risk for Microsoft. Microsoft doesn't have a board seat yet, but, I mean, it raises the question, does it even want one? Existing investors, another group that for now seems to be the winners, I'm told that the latest funding round for OpenAI, led by Thrive Capital, is still in discussions. If OpenAI achieves that $80 billion-plus valuation, that's certainly good news for the early investors who over the weekend, weren't even sure if there would still be an open AI. And finally, guys, you were just talking about NVIDIA. Interesting to think about their position in all of this. You still need those GPs, you still need all of the compute power, but I wonder, and some have wondered, if Sam Altman and Greg Brockman went to Microsoft, could they have more capital for their hardware ambitions, as has been reported? Could they actually be a more credible competitor to an NVIDIA?
1: Just to be clear, um uh, Altman has gone back as the CEO, and, and I I don't know whether he's chair, but he's the CEO of the company. Uh, Brockman as well. They're no longer going to be employed by Microsoft?
12: No, they are not going to go to Microsoft, but they will continue to work with Microsoft. And they have lost their board position. So Altman comes back as CEO. Reportedly, he's looking for a board seat. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. If there's going to be nine members, how do they divide that between the cautious crowd that's looking, you know, for generative AI to not destroy civilization, mm-hmm. and how many people are going to be more commercial focused, right? Yeah. You can imagine that Brett Taylor is someone with a lot of quick, business experience. He's going to want to commercialize these products, if I might. maybe we'll be cautious.
1: The, the, the number 10 billion yeah. has been thrown around as the amount that Microsoft has, quote, put into the company uh, I heard a guest on our air, I think it was Roger Altman, yesterday, say that that ten billion is a little misleading because it isn't ten billion in
9: cash;
3: yeah.
1: it's ten billion in in, right. in credits to use at Azure. Is that right?
12: That's correct. So the latest round, right, that Microsoft's commitment to put in ten billion—that's and Amazon has that similar wording with Anthropic. It's up to ten billion. <laughs> And some of that is certainly in cloud credits. And in that way, we did a deep dive on this for a tech check weekly piece. Mm-hmm. That's money going out the door for OpenAI to turn around and spend on Microsoft, Microsoft Azure Microsoft. Cloud. Yeah. So it's very win-win for Microsoft, right? They get yeah. the upside if the valuation goes up, but they also get it in terms of revenue to Azure, which, you know, it's obviously a core part of the business.
1: Very interesting. Okay, Deirdre Bosa, thank you.
12: Coming up, the travel
2: rush is on. Thanksgiving weekend expected to break pre-pandemic records on the road and in the sky. We'll get a live report when Power Lunch returns. Welcome back. Thanksgiving weekend along with shopping, turkey, and football. There's a lot of traveling going on. Much of it taking place today. Phil Obeau is out at Chicago O'Hare Airport with an update on uh, how it's looking out there, Phil.
13: Very quiet, Kelly. That is exactly what you want to hear if you are traveling today or this holiday weekend. How quiet is it? We're at Terminal 3. This is where American is based. Look back here. I mean, you hardly see anybody. I know it's the middle of the day. This is the lull during the day. It'll pick up later today. But altogether, we've seen no problems at all here at O'Hare. 2.7 million people will be flying nationwide today. That's not the busiest. 2.9 million will happen on Sunday. More than 49,000 flights, cancellations totaling 629. You wanna know how good it is around the country to be flying right now? Take a look at the FlightAware misery map. Now we often show this when there are cancellations and bad weather and you see a ton of red, you don't see much red right now. Those little dots right there, that is Basically, a very clean day in terms of if people are flying. Take a look at the airline stocks and how they're doing today. They've actually been doing pretty well over the last two or three weeks. Earlier today, they were up two or three percent. Now you see they're closer to uh, unchanged or slightly positive. Bottom line is this, guys. When you take a look at what's happening with the airline stocks and also the good news today for Boeing in terms of getting the approval to go forward with FAA flight certification test flights, with the 737 MAX-10, that's the long-range MAX. I mean, if you are Boeing, if you are one of their suppliers, if you're the airlines, you're feeling pretty good about things right now. Could be better, but certainly you like this compared to what we have seen during the past holidays sometimes. Absolutely. Phil, thank you very much. Have a great holiday yourself, my friend. All right.
1: Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, of course, so it's only right that we express exactly what we are grateful for. And that includes, in some cases, our investments. We'll get a Turkey Day edition of Three Stock Lunch uh, on the other side of this break. All right, time for today's Three Stock Lunch. Today, in honor of Thanksgiving, we have three stocks to be thankful for. Here with our trades is Gina Sanchez. She's Lido Advisors Chief Market Strategist. And a CNBC contributor, Gina, you say you're thankful for the cloud this Thanksgiving. And uh, (laughs) despite the AI hype dying down a bit, you see a bit more to come from this space. So so let's talk about a stock that if you'd own it, you'd be feeling pretty thankful today. And that's NVIDIA, crushing Wall Street estimates, tripling quarterly revenue. But the shares are a little bit down, making it one of the worst performers in the S&P 500 today. But you're thankful for it. if, If I owned it, man, I'd be thankful for it.
14: Yep, this is one we've owned all year, and it has been the gift that keeps on giving. I think the China concerns are very real. So uh, for the time being, however, it still scores well enough to be a part of the, you know, top 40 stocks that we put into our portfolio. Um, And it's maintained its position there. you know, that could change. But for now, this is the top maker of GPUs um, and you know chips that that feed not just processors, but also, um, uh, you know, the visual side, uh, gaming, et cetera. So we just continue to see them uh, being a major player. That's not going away anytime soon. All right. Then what about don't forget about AMT. Uh, those shares up over two percent today and outperforming the market. It lives in its big brother's shadow, but you're plenty thankful for it. We are plenty thankful for it and actually if we put these three stocks in order this would actually be our favorite stock right now because amd just launched their mi300 accelerator and that is expected you know amd you think of them as sort of the 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 bargain you know budget friendly chips that go into solid state drives pcs etc um kind of just the general consumer space but this um this mi300 chip this mi300 accelerator could actually make a play for significant ai computational programming and could buck up against nvidia so there's a lot uh, more to come we think out of amd
1: and last but not least another one you love and that is microsoft Uh, all-time highs uh, recently for that stock why are you thankful for it
14: Look, Microsoft is one that I own personally, and this is one that, that, you know, as, uh, you know, we have benefited from the environment. um, You know, this is a company that has been incredibly um, innovative in terms of how they work with customers and clients, grow those customers and clients, and then benefit from them um, as they they get stronger. The margins on Microsoft are massive. I mean, we're talking huge margins compared to the rest of, of, uh, you know, the rest of the space, Um, and we just see that, the, the cloud world continuing to expand, even if we go through a, you know, a, a, a tightening in, in spending and a tightening in IT budgets, and a lot of people are expecting that, and that's actually, I think, been somewhat priced in. We think that there's still a lot of room to run for Microsoft.
2: All right, Gina, thanks. Have a great holiday, my friend.
14: Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: You too. I'm say I'm thankful for Gina Sanchez. Yes. Uh, still ahead, so many headlines, but so little time. We will power through as many as we can in closing time. Now. Welcome back. Three minutes and several more stories to get to before we go today, Uh, starting with tomorrow being the first Thanksgiving of the Ozempic era, which (laughs) could make for some awkward Thanksgiving dinner conversation. People taking Ozempic, WeGoV or other popular meds are afraid of judgment from family members if they don't eat as much as last year or skip those desserts
1: Skip time. the pie, skip the wine, the whole thing, smaller portions. Uh,
2: being now on the preparing side of this, I, I understand. No, they're like, okay.
1: please eat. I labored over this for we days. We have several vegans coming, which is sort of <laughs> antithetical to a Thanksgiving feast, but they're bringing their own dishes. <laughs> All righty. The FCC proposing a rule to ban early termination fees for cable and satellite service contracts as more and more consumers cut the cord. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I'm not sure why the government needs to get involved in... In that?
2: You know, it, it, as ever. Yeah. Um, okay, you know, prob- probably bad for the providers, and probably, you know, if they had better service in the first place, maybe they would have avoided people getting so irate with them all the time. They will also provide people a prorated credit or rebate for the remaining days within a billing cycle. Okay. So all there right. you have it. There you go.
1: All right, as the uh, housing affordability gap widens, the age of home buyers is also rising. According to the National Association of Realtors, the median homebuyer age has jumped 10 years in the past two decades, from 39 to 49. First-time buyers also had a median age of 35 this year, compared with 29 back in 1981, and repeat buyers were 58 uh, years old compared with thirty six in nineteen eighty one. It's partly the aging of the population. It is also the fact that houses cost more and you have to have bigger money for down payments and it takes longer to accumulate. There's
2: that. kind of this raging debate about whether the millennials are a lot worse off than their parents were at their age. and based on what data point you can find a data point to either support that or, or not support that almost day by day, this one would seem to go in the camp of yes, it really is harder now than it used to be. Oh. Alrighty. Oh, can, do, should I or yes, should you? The honors? I, I, okay, th- this is The story that shocked the newsroom today, Daryl Hall is suing John Oates. I'm not sure who these two people are. Uh, but you don't know who they I are. Know, I know Hall and Oates, but it doesn't have the same impact yeah, for me. Okay. As, so um, Hall has a restraining order against Ho- Oates as well. The lawsuit is sealed, so we don't know what Oates is accused of. But whatever it is, Hall is saying. I can't go for that.
1: Oh, my. Well, they were one of the biggest uh, duets of the 70s and 80s. And uh, I had this feeling that they didn't get along because they don't perform much together.
2: Interesting.
1: But, uh, and we- in
2: an era where you can rake in such massive ticket revenues from yeah. doing so, you know, a lot of money left. I think
1: Daryl Hall had a very successful uh, run with uh, a concert with Todd Rundgren where they played uh, old faves. I would have liked to have seen it.
2: It's hard to be this closely tied with someone for that long yeah. a period of time. Divorce. All right, thanks for watching <laughs> Paramount. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm going to listen to Hollow Notes on the yeah, way Yeah, right do home. that. Closing bell starts right now.
14: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.